Welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, presented by Coors Light. Go from full-time to game-time. Coors Light, made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe, and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. I am joined by Blake Murphy for segment one, actually for all four segments, really. So this is what we're going to do today. Every day, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, that's right. I, I, but I have to say the name every single time. Um First segment, we got Dennis Schroeder calling in roughly around five minutes. We'll check in with Dennis, see what's going on with the team, see what's going on with him. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more Raptors. Hornets after that, a thrilling win last night, boys. Uh, it was, I mean, yeah, it was a dispiriting watch for the first half, but the Raptors did pull out in the second half behind Scotty and Pascal, who were excellent um, in the game yesterday. Uh, from that point, we will take a break. Then we'll come back with Tom Haberstroh, which... I've never talked to Tom, but, you know, I've been a big fan of his works. I heard a lot of his podcasts and obviously read a lot of his uh, his uh, eccentric findings, especially around the officials. Uh, very gonna, smart guy. Very, very smart guy. Um, we will take a break. Then we will go to Orrin Weisfeld, who will join us in studio, talk a little Canada basketball, uh, and it's just a little Raptors. And, uh, yeah, then, then we'll come back segment four around the NBA, bring in producer and co-host Alex Wong. But in the meantime, Blake, how you doing, man? How, how, you, how you feeling after that excellent win against the Hornets last night? I'm good. I, I like that you tried to stretch the intro into five minutes just to get I, us right to man. Dennis. Uh, you got to a minute 40 there. Stop um, bad. Look, last night was, I don't know. I don't. I, I have a hard time making, knowing what to feel about these games where they finally did find it. They played a really good fourth quarter. Sky mm-hmm. took over. There were some rotation and lineup changes that we had been asking to see. They were implemented and they worked pretty effectively. That stuff's all great. It is also hard to get past the fact that this was a Hornets team down like six rotation players mm. and you dug a big hole against them and were down double digits and, and had to fight your way back again. Yes, by the end, it was a 15-point win. It was pretty comfortable in the fourth quarter. Um, so that's good. And those, you know, the positive things did happen. It was Gary Trent's best game of the season. Uh, I do just think that, you know, that has to be couched at least a little bit in that once again, they dug themselves a hole against a really bad team. Mm-hmm. Well, this is something I want to ask Dennis, but before we get to Dennis, I'll just ask you. So this is now the seventh straight game the Raptors have gone down by double digits, and it happened pretty quickly early on in the game. Why do you think it keeps happening? Yeah, I mean, look. It's like, is nine, there one common theme? It's 19 times in 26 games now that oh they've, my God. they've built a double-digit deficit yeah. at some point, and 14 times that's ha- – or 15 times, rather, 14 times. Some number of times it's happened in the first half. I lost – I. Crossing my my wires on stats. They fall down by double digits a lot early. Yeah. And I think part of it is that, like, the starting lineup, we now have, you know, a, a lineup data takes forever to stabilize. But we have a pretty good sample that says, at best, this five-man unit is is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably a little worse than that. They got beat by the Hornets starters yesterday. Um, so I think that is a part of it. But there's also a part of it that is... You know, I don't know if it's if preparation is the like preparedness is the word or whatever, but Mm -hmm. um, there doesn't seem to be. This is a team that can really find that intensity gear when they're trailing as the game goes on. I I don't really have an explanation for why it seems that they need to get hit first. Mm. Yeah, and I don't. I don't think it's as simple as the starting five doesn't work. I I don't. I like. I think we need to see different looks um, from that group, but like that lineup should be able to beat Bryce McGowan's and Nick Richards, you know? I, I agree with you. I, I mean, look, listen, I, I think the starting lineup could stand the change just because I want to see some more experimentation. That's why I was happy to see Darko. And whatever, we've been going hard at Darko. Um, so 
we got to acknowledge, obviously, when he does well. I mean, he changed his rotation significantly yesterday, including in the fourth quarter where, I mean, pretty notable, but he never brought Yaka Pertle back into the game. Yeah, only 15 minutes. Um, and, you know, it's I suppose it's not that surprising because it did happen the last time they played the Hornets, too, I believe. I think he also closed uh, largely with a small ball group or played a lot of the fourth quarter with a small ball group. Um, but... Yeah, your thoughts about that because he did ultimately essentially come back with the closing lineup, except it was Gary in place of Jakob. What did you make of that move? Yeah, I mean, it, it was good to see it. And we've kind of been, like you said, asking for some version of that, whether it's Gary in, in Dennis's spot for a few minutes, Gary in, in Jakob's spot for a few minutes, something to give a little bit of spacing to that Pascal Scotty Barnes duo, mm-hmm. which we, you know, on paper and in the limited sample we have says, yeah. Putting shooters around that those two is really going to help the offense breathe. Even on even at times when Gary Trent doesn't have it going necessarily, um, you know the the hard part here is there's a little bit of a chicken and the egg where Gary played better alongside more starters as we know he does and most players would, mm-hmm. but you have to play a certain level of good mm-hmm. to justify being put in those lineups. So there's like. You know, how do you how do you make sure Gary is bringing that and that's going to be a, a look you can go to every night on top of which, you know, they've been pretty rigid with the starting lineup. And maybe this is something that materializes more just in rotation patterns. Mm. Um, but I think, yeah, look, even if you're a coach that likes to script out your rotation patterns very, very specifically until like the 44 minute mark of the game, you got to play the matchups and what is working in that game for the last four or five minutes. And okay. I like credit to Darko for for doing that and going to that that look twice in the game. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I, th- I think what really did highlight is when you don't have Jakob on the floor, uh, obviously it cuts down your rim protection, doesn't allow you to play as much pick and roll. Um, you're probably playing more mismatch basketball where you're attacking the mismatch through one of your big wings. But at the same time, those big wings now have more space to mm-hmm. attack. You know, when they had those switches and isolations for Pascal Siakam down the stretch, and I thought Pascal was awesome down the stretch last night, or when they were able to play small ball with uh, Scotty in, even when Scotty was in with uh, Precious to start the fourth quarter, um, there was a lot more space for them to get downhill. And, of course, it's on those guys to play big. It's up to those guys to still be able to make up that deficit. But, I mean, I don't think Scotty has any issue playing big. He got 17 rebounds last <laughs> night and three blocks, and I think two goal tens as well. That were a 50-50 goal tens, I would say. So, I mean, you know, it's uh, the options are, are are there. And I do feel like... It was good to see Darko explore those options. Definitely. And, you know, if you were going to criticize him yesterday for not doing those things, you got to give him credit for for doing them this time, even if I I think, you know, probably the 26-game mark was a little late to start doing those things. Um, You know, and obviously this is also on the players to find their spot in looks that are not super familiar to them. Now, look, Dennis Schroeder has played a lot of NBA basketball in his career. He's played in all sorts of different lineups. I thought it was pretty telling and like pretty important that in those looks he was he played really well off the ball like even though he's not a knockdown shooter and that kind of floor spacer he got off the ball well relocated used him used you know cutting and just you know movement away from the ball Mm -hmm. to make sure that if those doubles came to scotty and pascal and the hornets were very aggressive sending like hard doubles the first time a, a dribble went toward the middle um you know making sure he was in the right spots for those passes and connecting kind of the post pass to two passes away. Um, that's not, I mean, it's something they'll ask of him because 
that's that's the role sometimes, and he's moved in and out of his career. But it is a tough thing to go from, like we talked about yesterday, one of the highest touch guys on the team to be focused more on, I'm going to get us into the set, and then I'm going to work off ball mm -hmm. to make things easier for the guys over here rather than trying to create for them with the ball in my hands. You know, I, I hear that. Um and I'm sure that that's something that we can ask Dennis about, just in sort of that negotiation of sort of what your role is and sort of like, you know, how you fit into certain groups and everything like that. But at the same time, I think it's something he's capable of, right? If you look at the possessions that they had down the stretch, a lot of it was oriented towards Pascal because he was the guy who, I mean, honestly, I, I literally went through this and I clipped it this, more, or this afternoon. Pretty much every time Pascal touched the ball down the stretch, something positive came out of it. Mm -hmm. He had like five rebounds on the stretch. He had two assists, one to Scotty for a dunk, one to Gary for a three. He had two and ones. He took a mid-range jumper as well. He got a couple of stops. It was all good. But the offensive approach was just, okay, the Hornets are switching, so we're going to have Pascal screen for the ball. Um, the Hornets are going to switch one of their guards on him, whether that's Rozier, whether that's, you know, Ishmith was playing, which is... Wow, what a blast from the past. That guy used to kill us, by the way. He was an all-time Gerald Henderson candidate. He uh, was, like, other than Etuan Moore, yeah. nobody has ever killed the Raptors more with, like, those 12-foot floaters. Oh, my God. He even hit us one yesterday, and I think it was right after we saw um, Dwayne Casey in the building, and mm -hmm. I was just like, this is too much for me. This is actually, like, I'm getting I'm getting chills in, in the bad way. But um, the, the offense was largely get Pascal on the ball, force a switch, and then at that point, you know, Dennis is just giving the ball up to Pascal on the post and then relocating, as you said. That's nothing that is outside of his repertoire. In fact, it's probably easier than what the role he would typically play. But especially in those moments when those guys have mismatches, when teams are conceding those switches, when, you know, that is sort of what the offense is geared towards that night, I don't see a reason why he couldn't do that more often. And, of course, it's contingent on the fact that you need spacing around that to make it happen too because the Hornets probably – cover it differently if they, you know, if Jakob was on the floor. They probably don't need to concede those switches as much. They could probably go under a couple of screens, trusting that there's a rim protector there. That doesn't happen as much when you actually spread the floor out. So even, Gary's role is really huge in that too. Yeah, and even if you give up the switch still as part of your pick and roll coverage, you can send help more aggressively or differently and from different spots off of Jakob Pertle where, yeah. you know, a, a thing that Pascal and, you know, we didn't see Scotty post up as much, but it's the same kind of idea when you're driving. You know, Charlotte really preferred to send that help from the top. And if you are, and that is because you have spacing there, if you have Jakob Pertle on the floor and he's in the weak side dunker, say, that help is coming, you know, into the paint. And, and as you go middle, if not, you know, some teams will do it from the baseline, the, the base go strategy. But I, I do think that that, you know, makes where you're helping from a little more complicated for a defense, even if you still switch. Yeah. And it was interesting, too, because you saw the, the decision-making for the Hornets in real time. At the start uh, or the middle of the fourth quarter when Pascal checked into the game and they got those mismatches, um, they were sending the double teams. And so ultimately what he did was he found Scotty, he found Gary. And then when they switched to more single coverage, he hit an and one jumper and he also made another one where he took a mid-range jumper easy in the paint. So it's like, you know, yeah, you could definitely see why it's difficult for certain teams to cover that. Of course, having said that, it was the Hornets, you know, like I, yes. I'm, I'm not saying that this is going to work every single time. It's not like a fail-proof strategy, but I did like seeing it. And I did like the fact that Pascal and Scotty both, you know, were, were excellent in the game. Um, I think... I went through and counted, like I literally went through and counted because I did not find a, a, a statistical query way of doing this. Maybe I asked Tom Haverstrow after this too in our next segment. But there's already been nine instances this season where both Pascal and Scotty have scored 20 plus in the same game. 
compared to last year, it only happened 12 total times. And last year they had better spacing around them. Yeah. Slightly. Yeah. Yeah, I would say. You had Fred Van Vliet, yeah. who even though he didn't shoot the three terrific last year, team still really, really treated as a floor spacer, especially in relocation situations. Wow. Um, Did he pay to say that, boy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you see the game he had last night? Yeah, he doesn't need me to pay to say that. Anyway, um, the Scotty and Pascal being able to do that in the same game should not be surprising. It was something that we were perplexed about the first seven, eight games of the year mm. where it looked like, you know, at least comfort level wise, only one of them was comfortable going off at a time. And, and you know, you're trying to implement the new offensive principles and they were, you know, maybe not finding, and this is a team level thing, not an individual level thing, mm. the right, hey, how much and when to attack mismatches or attack one-on-one. Um, but what we said throughout all that is like, there's not actually a good like basketball reason that eventually Pascal and Scotty can't be really effective offensively together. Mm-hmm. Now, some of that's lineup dependent, but like you said, it's happened, what, nine times in 26 games? Yeah. And I'd imagine that has been more common as the season's gone on. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's part of this, obviously, is just Scotty is making this jump offensively. And I, th- I thought yesterday he didn't even hit many jumpers or anything like that, but he, he played a lot of bully ball and it really, really worked. To great effect. Uh, I think Darko is slowly finding more and more ways to get him involved too. Again, like him with the bench lineups is starting to look better. And I think that's, again, if you I, want to credit Darko, I want to give a little that. bit of pause to that though. Because okay, okay. There, I, I tweeted last night, like I think this is one of, I think I said it's a top two. And then um, looking at the lineup data, their two best performances both came against the Hornets. That was a bench heavy group with a lot of starters out. Okay. So yeah. like, the t- like, look, obviously the process was, was better. They were that group was really, really active defensively, and Scotty looked good offensively within that group. I would just caution against thinking it's a big step forward when you were playing against Leaky Black and and Nick Smith Jr. Mm. And, and guys like that. Not to these disres- are, these not are real to disrespect those guys, but like the yep. the quality of competition in that game, say versus you know what the Nuggets bench is going to look like tomorrow night is a is a pretty big jump because those Nuggets bench units oh, are going to yeah. have Jokic or Murray, and then like a lot of good depth guys so um right. good, good to see it take a step in the right direction but I, I would not extrapolate too too much yet so you're saying is there anything sustainable to you though yeah i mean i, I think the defense like, you... the defensive side of those groups is like they could have been defending like that for a long time there's no okay. reason for that group not to be a high energy group now some of the things they did yesterday um charlotte was a little sloppy with their closeout principles and things like that it mm, opened up okay. like like instances where precious could drive past the closeout and get into the paint Precious is capable of, of that, but a lot of, you know, better defensive teams are going to stunt that Precious and make sure that that drive isn't there. They're, they're not going to treat them like that mm. as a kind of pick and pop uh, three up top. But yeah, I, th- I mean, anytime you significantly win your minutes, that's something you, you're like, they had a five minute stretch where they were plus six to start mm. the fourth quarter. It helped swing the game. And, and you know, mostly it's a positive to me for Scotty, but um yeah, I mean, good good to see it. I just, I'm not going to advocate for, you know, 12, 15 minutes a game of that particular group. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. It, it does seem like Darko wants to continue with it. And that's why I'm asking you if there are any sort of marginal progressions, because I think if we're going to stick with it, we need mm-hmm. to see some sort of progress with it. Obviously, a big part of that is just you need Gary to be able to um, perform the way he did last night. And of course, with those bench scoring groups, I feel like offense really, they really compound where it's like they get a bad offensive possession or they get an empty offensive possession and then they really don't get back on defense. And all of a sudden, things that should really be like, okay, you miss a shot, things happen, right? But you don't compound that mistake. I feel like they were compounding those mistakes a, a lot yesterday. So, uh, or not, not a lot yesterday, but uh, 
um, just in general. So Gary actually making shots, I thought, brought really great relief to that group. Did you see the same thing I saw there? Uh, yeah, you you. There was definitely that. I mean, Gary is going to provide a little bit of that spacing regardless yeah. um, because teams treat him like a shooting no, threat. No, but he needs to finish. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And look, you need to finish not only because you need the shots to fall, but because, you know, as a game goes on, if you're not hitting those shots, a defense probably eases up a little bit on their coverage of you, and that tightens the spacing. Um, that five-man unit, by the way, that we saw close the game last night has played mm. 37 minutes together this year. Okay. Uh, that is a tiny sample for a lineup group and there's going to be some noise in there but, oh, but in those 37 minutes plus 24 that's pretty good that's pretty good and it's not like they won their minutes by like that much last night um i thought the hornets made a couple of tough buckets in between just to sort of respond but yeah no i mean i i think there's obviously what you could see on the court in terms of the results but also you could think about just on paper how you could attack and what kind of you know, synergistic, like, elements will go into that. And I thought that, yeah, I mean, there's certain games where you're not going to have to close with a center. Like, if you look across the league, a lot of teams close small. And when you do decide to close small, you obviously need good spacing around your guys. So, I mean, typically, late-game offense is just mismatch basketball. Now, sometimes I do wish they got to that a little bit earlier. But, you know, again, these are these are questions that, uh, you know, if we ever get Darko again on the show, we can ask Darko. But we do have Dennis Schroeder joining us on the line. Dennis... What's going on? What's going on? We got the German Playboy of the Year Award winner, Dennis. <laughs> What's up, man? How you doing? Yeah, tell us about that, man. What what, what does that mean to you to be named uh, Playboy of the Year in Germany? I mean, uh, it's all about recognition uh, for me. I mean, uh, we had a great year, great summer with the national team. Um, of course, um, to get you know a award like that is always um, always great. Um, especially for my, you know, legacy growing up in Germany, you know, um, little black dude, you know, uh, growing up there, um, having hard times and then, you know, uh, get to get the recognition, um, after a great summer is always great. Yeah. That's gotta feel, that's gotta feel amazing. I was looking at some of the other voters uh, or the other people who receive votes. And I think you finished above the defense minister or something like that. I, I, I was very confused with this list. I thought it was going to be some soccer players, but I guess German soccer is in a bad spot right now. I mean, yeah. I mean, they they uh, have a big summer coming up um, <laughs> in Germany, so um, I'm going to be there, support them. Um, hopefully, they're going, you know, uh, end up winning it. Yeah. Um, speaking of winning it, yeah, yeah, you guys have a big summer coming up on the German basketball side too, by the way. But uh, last night, you guys, uh, you guys beat the Hornets. Um, kind of a, a pattern we've seen a little bit. You guys start a little bit slow, but figure it out as the game um, goes on. I, I wanted to ask you specifically about the lineup that you guys closed with. So it's the four of you who normally start, and then Gary Trent in the place of, of Jakob Pertl. Um, that was effective last night. What do you think about that lineup makes it effective for, for the five of you, at least offensively? I think Gary, I mean, he when he is aggressive and um, he's always a threat, you know, to shoot threes. Um, he's a, a knockdown shooter uh, in this league. Um, give, gives us a lot on the off, uh, defensive end as well, you know, uh, his scrappiness, um, his activity. Um, and Yak, I mean, sometimes for Yak, it's always tough because it's like uh, everybody playing around the the. Um, the three-point line, you know, and um, it's always uh, for Yak a little bit, you know, tougher. So coach doing a great job just adjusting game by game. 
what we need to, you know, win the game. So um, it's always great uh, for the coaches to read it. Um, but I think Gary doing a great job just um, being ready. And, uh, I mean, he had a great performance last night. In addition to the lineup change with Gary in there, you know, you guys were running things through Pat Pascal and Scotty a lot. How much does your role change when the, the lineup switches from one with Jakob to a, a more of a five-out lineup? Nothing really. I mean, ever, uh, it takes to to win uh, a basketball game at the end of the day. Just been, um, don't matter if I, you know, score five points or uh, twenty-five points. Um, whatever the 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 team needs to to win a basketball game, and I think everybody got to buy into that. And if we do that, we we be in great shape. So you mentioned earlier uh, about. Darko making the adjustments. So something that we've been tracking a lot on the show. Um, I'm not going to lie. We've been a little hard on Darko. All right. I know that, I know you guys are close. But I want to hear if your perspective from being in the locker room um, and being in around a lot of teams and a lot of coaches, how is Darko with adjustments, you feel like? Is he a guy who likes to adjust between games? Is he adjusting mid-game? How open is he to, you know, suggestions from you guys like the vets? I would love to hear about your perspective on Darko's adjustments. I mean, he always listens to everybody. I think to to all the players. If people got suggestions uh, how we play, or how we, um, you know, dead night, it don't matter who we play, uh, the coverages. And uh, he always listens. He's open to it. And um, I think he's doing a great job with that. I think uh, in-game adjustments. Once everybody buys into the system, and it don't work, then we can switch up. Mm. I think. Uh, okay. And if Everybody got to buy into it first to the system. Everybody got to believe it, that it works. If that happens, you know, and it don't work, then, of course, we can adjust. I feel like that's mm. just me personally, my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Darko, I mean, like I said, he always uh, open up for conversations. If somebody don't like the coverage or whatever we in that night, um, he always asks after, you know, we finish shoot around, do you guys have any questions or opinions of what we have to do or, you know, to be better in the game? So he's always uh, a great listener, um, always great communicating to everybody. Um, but in-game adjustments is always like a, it's a tricky question, you know? Yeah. And um, I think we did a great job with Terry Rozier. I mean, he was... He was uh, Bonner last night as well, but we did a great job of blitzing him, showing him different coverages as well. So, uh, I mean, if we do that, we, um, I think we're really tough to beat. You guys did do a better job on Terry because he was, he was going off in the first half, and he could definitely make some mm -hmm. tough shots. That's how, that's how the Hornets beat you guys last time too. I mean, you guys got down, but you guys came back, but then they made a whole bunch of tough shots down the stretch. Um, I'm curious in terms of, so you mentioned some of the, sometimes, you know, players will suggest adjustments. Like, you, who who's suggesting that? Who has the ideas? Like, you know, because I want to know who's the future coaches in this team. I mean, uh, you know, we got the OGs uh, in the okay. locker room, so um, I got to shot them out. Gary Temple, for sure. Um, they're young. Um, but it's uh, really... Um, everybody who's chipping in, you know, um, if something has to be said or something people don't like, uh, Pascal sometimes says something, oh, yeah, I think this should be better. And mm. um, good open communication where we just talk about, you know, the things, the coverage, I think is always great. 
and um, we're taking advantage of it. And it's great to have a coach like that who really listens and don't just have his way. Yeah. All right, last question on Darko, at least. But have you guys had some conversations about any lineup changes? Because this is something that we ask Darko a lot. Darko is, I think he said, maybe he wants to see the starting lineup for another one or two games and then decide. I wonder if that kind of conversation happens with you guys as well about potential changes in the lineup. I mean, we, we never talked about it. I mm. think uh, we uh, just want to go, you know, game by game. Um, every single game, go out there. Whoever plays first, uh, whoever starts, you know, um, just to go out there, give everything you have, and uh, win basketball games. That's what it comes down to. But, I mean, um, I think how we play right now, um, if we can't stack up games like that and just keep getting better and don't, you know, reset every time when we win a game, um, then the conversation's not going to happen, you know, uh, obviously. So we just got to be better um, coming out, you know, uh, the games, uh, the first five minutes in the first quarter and the first five minutes in the third quarter. And uh, if we do that, we'd be in great shape. So your next game will be uh, a tough one to keep it rolling. It's the Denver Nuggets. This is the defending champs, a team that you got a, a long look at last year in the playoffs. Um, what do you remember more? Like, what stands out most uh, about that playoff series against them that, that you were in? I mean, last year, that was really hard to stop. Um, they had uh, all around just great players. Uh, of course, um, a superstar or two of the superstars uh, who was really unwilling uh, or re really, sorry, willing to pass the ball and being unselfish um, and leading the way, you know, of um, it don't matter if they score five points or 10 points, if they get a W, they're really happy about winning the game. And I mean, if you have stars like that who, you know, leads by example and making sure that everybody's on the same page, uh, it's uh, nothing you can do there. And if you have around, um, those great role players they had, you know, with Aaron, uh, Aaron Gordon, um, Brown, um, both Browns did a great job. Uh, then Cartwell, Pope, uh, MPJ. I mean, it's, it's really hard to stop them. And tomorrow, like I said, though, it's, uh, every single game we want to take it uh, as a challenge and um, try to win every single game. So we're going to try to come out hard tomorrow and uh, try to, you know, uh, win a basketball game. So... This is obviously a Canadian program, you in Canada. We got to ask about Jamal Murray. He's one of our stars. What was it like going up against Jamal Murray? Well, what's the toughest thing about covering Jamal Murray? Yeah, Jamal is, uh, I mean, playing with the Joker yeah. makes him special. Um, he's fitting perfectly with the Joker. Um, the Joker, like I said, how he passed the ball, um, how they play pick and roll. I mean, you got to guard both of them, you know, they really, both of them are really threats. So you got to be uh, really careful with shooting. I mean, mid-range shots, floaters, getting to the lane, uh, really athletic too still. Um, so it's really, really tough to guard them. But I mean, for me, what I did in the series, you know, just picking up full court, don't, um, because every time when he brings it up so easy and he don't have no pressure to it, then it's, it's just, you know, like practice for him. Mm -hmm. You know, they're too good of the players to just um, pick up at the three-point line and then just guard him. So for me, it was always, you know, picking up full court, um, make him, you know, uh, earn every every single thing he, he doing. And, um, I mean, I don't know what the coverage is tomorrow, but uh, that's... Uh, 
what I have in mind right now, just, you know, to make it really difficult on them. When you play against top international stars like this, like my, my guess is that you're just focused on the Raptors right now, but do you, do you, does a part of you think like, man, I might see Jamal in the Olympics this year for Canada. I might see Jokic in the Olympics this year for Serbia. How, how much is, you know, Germany's summer ahead on your brain when, when you play these top international guys? I mean, it's all... Both uh, competitions, it's always respect. And, um, of course, um, I know they're superstars um, in the league um, and they're playing great basketball. But at the end of the day, for me, um, it's just another, you know, basketball game. Uh, at the end of the day, everybody's going to go out there, compete the hardest you can and try to get a W. And um, But, I mean, it's always great to see those guys uh, internationally. Uh, at Fever and uh, in the NBA and you get to, you know, talk in and uh, talk about the summer or whatever and um, it's it's always great seeing them. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're looking forward to the World Cup, man. Or not the World Cup, the, the Olympics. Uh, if it's anything like the World Cup, it's going to be amazing. Alright, last question. We got to ask you about Jeff T because we, we keep coming back to this subject. We always run out of time. So to set this up, there was a Jeff T one on, I think, a show with Shams. Uh, and Lou Williams, who uh, another former teammate of yours in Atlanta, and Lou Williams asked Jeff Teague, uh, who is the most annoying trash talker you played against? And Jeff Teague answered that it was you. Um, and, and, and Lou Williams kind of laughed about it because he's like, well, I was teammates with these guys. I remember what it was like in practice. I believe that was your rookie year. He, he was one of the uh, – he was vets. He was kind of injured that year. But, um, yeah, what, what, what were those practices like, especially when you were a rookie coming in and, and you know – Jeff was obviously the starter, but you were the backup. What was the what was the competition like at that time? Oh, really, really competitive. Uh, I was, I mean, 18, 19 at the time. Yeah. Uh, was still a young kid, you know, coming from Germany. Um, coming to Atlanta was a culture shock for me. So at the end of the day, just, you know, try to compete, just um, picking up full court. Um, you know, just, you know, being engaged every single practice. Uh, he was playing, uh, of course, but I didn't have, you know, uh, too much playing time. So um, I always, you know, in practice came out 110% just to be out there and try to get a chance to go out there. And um, that's probably what he didn't like. Uh, I mean, with Lou and uh, Jeff, I didn't never had really outside. Uh, I was not really outside of basketball with them. Mm. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I take it as a as a, a positive note um, because, I mean, he helped me too, I got to say. I mean, offensively, defensively, um, he always, you know, talked to me uh, as a vet and uh, told me too, like, one day it's going to be your team. And, I mean, he always said great things. And, mm. um so I'm, I don't have nothing uh, bad to say about them. Um, so, yeah. Well, it was interesting because, um, you know, a few years later, when you guys were on different teams, I don't know if you remember this, but I think this was 2019. You were on OKC. Jeff Teague was on Minnesota. And there was a game where I looked it up. Jeff Teague, like, you guys got into a little pushing match, and then Jeff Teague pushed you twice, and he got ejected from this game when he was playing in Minnesota. Do you remember this incident at all? This is 2019 now. Yeah, yeah, I think was it in OKC? It was in OKC, yeah. Yeah, I think I remember that. I think I remember that. I don't know what what it was about though. So mm. I mean, like I said, uh, competitive people. Yeah. You know, he knew um, what happened in Atlanta. You know, um, he went somewhere 
I got his spot. And um, I mean, we just, you know, going at it um, in a basketball game. So um, that's what happens, you know, uh, in the NBA, that's the competitive, probably most, the most competitive league uh, on the best league in the world. So people always want to prove a point and um, I'm always there for it, you know, and um, uh, I'm never going to, you know, back down on any situations. But, I mean, I, I still have a good relationship with him, I would say. Um, every time when something good happened, you know, I text him mm -hmm. and um, or DM him and he's doing the same. So, um, no hard feelings there. That's good. That's good. All right. No beef here. I'm going to stop trying. Uh, the funniest thing, too, is I was watching that video of, of, of that ejection of, well, after you guys push each other. You were not ejected. He was ejected. Uh, there was one OKC assistant coach that came over to pull you away. Because, you know, when when people, you know, you guys didn't scrap, in, in, but, you know, when when two guys start pushing each other, everybody rushes onto the court, and it's usually the assistants who pull yeah. you off. You know which assistant pulled you off for OKC? 2019. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's either Dave or Dave... Um, or, I mean, Darko was on the team, probably Darko. <laughs> it was Darko, man. It was yeah, Darko. Darko, Darko, Darko came to get you too. off the court, man. But I didn't realize Darko had this big, like, beard at the time. This I almost didn't recognize him. <laughs> yeah, Darko, I mean, uh, like I said, we go way back, man. So yeah. um, uh, it's always, always uh, great to be around him. Yeah. Um, I think... Uh, I mean, special character. He's gonna, he's gonna be uh, great in this league. I mean, he's been around the game 27, 30 years, so um, he's uh, he's great. All right, we gotta be nicer to Darko, man. But uh, you know, this this Darko with the beard look was was kind of hard. He looked uh, he looked a lot more serious, you know. Now he's called yeah, clean shaven. Yeah. He looks all young again. It's it's different. So, um, <laughs> all right, Dennis, we'll we'll let you go to uh, wherever you're going. Drive safe. Right, you're not driving, obviously. Someone's driving <laughs> for you. But I uh, appreciate you, and we'll call you again next week. All right, man. Appreciate you guys. Dennis Schroeder. No beef. No beef. No beef. All right. I'm a little disappointed. I'm not going to lie. Also, like, it's it was years ago. He's probably downplaying it a, a little bit to yeah. some degree, too. Like, I never know how, you know, how, just how honest the guy's going to be about, like, yeah, I, I called him this and I uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did this to him, you know? No, you're right. You're right. Who, who remembers old trash talk anyway? But, no, I, I got to figure out... Uh, Got to figure out a way to get Darko to bring that beard back, man. He had he basically had your beard essentially. I want to share a photo yeah. of this on on Twitter as well, but yeah, he essentially had your 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 facial. Yeah, look, party. I feel like we've told Darko enough this week. We should maybe <laughs> leave his uh his aesthetic uh, choices. Okay. Uh, right. Speaking of throwback, I met Tom Haverstrow at Sloan Sports Analytics Conference oh, like a decade ago when I was first starting out. Of course, incredibly you smart guy. Let's uh let's take a break and talk to him. Let's do it. We're gonna take that break. Up in your host, Will, you've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Malou. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy. And we are joined on the line... By Tom Habistro. This is the longest title that we've had in here, but he's a very impressive person. I just wanted to make sure we shout out all the, there's the finder on Substack, obviously uh -huh. doing uh, analytics insider work for the Trailblazers, and then over the last several years, excellent work with the the charitable organization Hoops for ALS. So yeah. um, we've had we've had that on the baseball side as well with Sarah Lang. So Tom, welcome. Appreciate you, man, for all of those reasons. 
Hey, that's very kind of you to shout out Hoops for ALS. Um, yeah, it's been a very big part of my life over the last few years, and I appreciate that. Uh, so over at the Finder on Substack, where your writing is primarily now, man, the timing on this piece. So you write about James Harden's unguardable isolations. You've got the data on, yeah, he's doing a little less, but they've been so effective. And then he just cooks last night. Um, man, can you for, for our audience who maybe didn't see that piece, uh, can you take us through a little bit about how James Harden's offense has fit with this Clippers team? Yeah, you know, I do a weekly Tom's title tiers at TomTheFinder.com, which is basically my way of just getting myself kind of oriented with the week's NBA action. And me personally, it's fun to just get kind of reset uh, on Sunday night, just like where's everyone ranking? What team do I want to feature this week? And as I'm writing on Sunday, I'm like, oh, James Harden is his ISOs one-on-one just on an island when he gets a, a guy on an island he's as good as he's ever been. And so I started looking at the numbers and it turns out that he's not just the best he's ever been. It's the best that we've seen in the last like 13 years of the player tracking era. And no one's talking about it. And I was like, all right, well, I'm writing about this. And then he goes and he plays the Indiana Pacers and Blake, you know how it is when like, as a writer, you see a number or you see something, some trend and you're like, all right, I'm hitting this. And then tonight, hopefully it works out. <laughs> uh-huh. And then he just went Nova. He just napalmed uh, Buddy Heald, uh, Obi Toppin, and the Indiana Pacers, which honestly these days isn't really all that much of an accomplishment. (laughs) But he, in the last two games, I'll just put it in perspective for you, James Harden has scored 40 points on 19 isolations. Oh, my God. 40 points on 19 plays. Some of those are misses, but some of those are three-point makes, three-point shot fouls. Uh, and also, and ones on three-pointers. He is just absolutely on another level. And I think people are kind of just like, they're the Clippers and it's James Harden. Yeah. And so we can't really talk about it in the regular season. <laughs> and so I wanted to re- write about it. And then, of course, he just absolutely eviscerated uh, the Pacers. It was it was cool to see. Just It's weird in the NBA where it's like regular season stuff, December stuff. You kind of have to take it with a grain of salt because we know four months later, everyone just erases this from their their memory. They just get neuralized from the men in black stuff. I just think uh, it's cool. When guys are cooking like that, we should talk about it. Yeah. Well, James Harden did tell us. I mean, he did say, I'm not a system player. I am the system. <laughs> and yeah, when you, when you are literally doing this on isolation, like, you are the system. The average James Harden isolation the last two games has been more effective than a wide open layup. Yeah. Yes. That's the points per possession there. That's, That's crazy. 2.1. So if you told me, if you told me, would I rather have uh, Giannis at the rim dunking 19 <laughs> times in a row or James Harden ISOs, I think 99% of fans are going to say, oh, I want Giannis dunking 19 times. <laughs> and the answer is no. James Harden on an isolation on an island is more effective more efficient more profitable than Giannis dunking 19 times in a row yeah this is the 2019 uh, mvp debate yeah uh, the run and dunk man versus a man who actually has skills which uh i love james harden beefing with him over this uh, it's great i want players to care about this um what, what do you make about the clippers overall because obviously they're on a nice roll here they've had some pretty impressive wins and, and um obviously the health of their stars is always gonna be the biggest thing and they have been healthy for the most part uh, paul george missed like one or two games but he's back um it seems to really work. And now I'm like actually kind of not not scared of the Clippers, but 
you know, it, it does seem like okay, wow, this is scary very much a team. Well? Scary hours. They're scary. They got at least, they got three stars <laughs> that at all times can really cook you, and, and and that's very very dangerous. So I would love to hear your thoughts on the Clippers and how it's fitting. Yeah, so I do five tiers, uh, five star system, uh, title tiers, where the number one, I guess, the five star rating is reserved for the perfect teams, like the the teams where I'm like. They don't need anything else. They're as good as anybody. Uh, Boston Celtics and the Denver Nuggets. Mm. Then I got my four-star tier, which is you know usually held for a team that's got like one move away or feel like they they just have a missing piece. And to me, the Clippers are on that tier, the second tier in the NBA in terms of title contenders. Because look, if Kawhi Leonard's healthy and there's a train going by, so I apologize if this is shaking. There's no earthquake here. I'm just telling you, there's a train right by my house. Um, so Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. They've missed one game this year, collectively. Kawhi Leonard hasn't missed a game. He's played in all four back-to-backs. He's averaging 25 points a game on those second night of back-to-backs. And if I told you guys, as Raptors guys, that this would happen, you guys would be like, no, there's no chance that Kawhi Leonard at this point, sorry, it feels like there's a T-Rex. There might be Raptors outside my house right now. Are you in Jurassic Park? Um, (laughs) but, But to your point, like this is the most games in a row Kawhi has played since the championship run. Yeah. Kawhi Leonard's yeah. 16th in the NBA in total minutes played. It's kind of amazing. He's never ranked in the top 20, except for this season. He's yeah. never ranked top 20 minutes. Wow. And then at this point in his career, he's 16th. And like his true shooting percentage, everything, he's yeah. he's outstanding. So when you got Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and James Harden healthy and playing at this level, they probably deserve to be in that top tier because that's kind of baked into the Clippers analysis is they can't possibly do this for uh for you know keep stay healthy if they're healthy in the playoff run i think they deserve to be in that top tier i think the only thing that's missing is just like a um i would say like a uh a dennis smith jr type on their roster just oh, a, a lockdown work. point guard yeah. who can you know soak up some of those russ or westbrook minutes and then if you if they get like a lockdown point guard defender i mean Man. what else do you need i mean i guess the, the question would just still be like can they rely on Zubac defensively that much because I, I do worry because he is slow-footed but I mean it is, I it's certainly a, like you're looking at well you got to look through Jokic. you got to play Jokic at some point and you got to play yeah. Gobert at some point probably so yeah. maybe you're less worried like I think you're less worried about as a pivot point here the Warriors than maybe you would be uh in the past Tom you've done a ton of fun fun work on the Warriors this year around like Chris Paul and Scott Foster's beef. Uh, you've, you've got a graphic up on the Blazers broadcast uh, with the analytics on Draymond's disciplinary actions. Um, it, it's been uh, fun, if a little worrisome. And, and the latest Steph's three-point streak ends, and he has the two longest three-point streaks uh, in league history himself. What do you make of where this Warriors team is? is at and you know you mentioned the clippers hey maybe they're only one mover just good health away this is the first time since the intentional year where it really feels like the warriors are maybe a couple steps away yeah from a content standpoint <laughs> like 60 percent of my paid subscriptions at tomthefinder.com <laughs> is like warrior stuff like it's amazing <laughs> i mean it's it's been such a controversial year they're uh toxic radioactive draymond green stuff and then of course the scott foster um chris paul dynamic which uh i the numbers are astounding uh, i think it's three and 17 against the spread chris paul's teams are in the playoffs with scott foster officiating i'm not not just talking about like three and 17 win loss record i'm talking about vegas is saying here is the favorite team here's the favorite team and here's the underdog and here's the point spread 
And Chris Paul's teams have not covered in 17 of the 20 uh, playoff games in his career with Scott Foster officiating. Then you throw in the research I did on Draymond Green with Steph Curry out. Um, He is four times as likely to be ejected in a game when (laughs) Steph Curry is out versus when Steph Curry is playing (laughs) in the game. Um, And then Rudy Gobert, like the thing about his comment was he just doesn't want to play. And he's kind of like the laughing stock of the league, right? Rudy Gobert. But he was totally right about that. He was absolutely right about the fact that Draymond Green, when Steph's not playing, he just doesn't want to play out there as evidenced by the numbers. And and the Warriors just, they, they need help. They need, I don't know if it's Pascal Siakam. I think it's really interesting to think about like, what would the Raptors, what would Masai want in a trade? I think you could have to have, Moses Moody, Kaminga, uh, Pods, either two or the three of those young guys uh, in a Pascal Siakam trade. But like the Warriors don't have a lot of draft picks mm-hmm. at their disposal. And if you're sending Pascal Siakam to the to the Warriors, that their draft picks get worse, right? So that the value on those draft picks aren't as as good. So it's almost like you're sabotaging your own draft capital if you acquire the Warriors picks going forward. Um, but they need like a Larry Markinen. They need a Pascal mm-hmm. Siakam. A, a, a second score that can take a lot of the pressure off of clay uh, and Steph Curry right now. They don't have that guy. And I think at this point, the warriors can't be considered a real true title contender until they get um, that second score that really relieves a lot of the pressure off of Draymond clay and Steph. Oh, I have no doubt. Pascal would help them with the scoring. Um, and that especially you get Pascal more spacing around him. I think he can really, do a lot of great things, especially as a secondary scorer. Last time we saw Pascal as a secondary scorer was in 2019 when he was with Kawhi, and I think he's a much better player than he was at that time. But I do wonder from the Warriors' side, like, aren't they giving up a lot of rotation players? The thing with the Warriors is, like, they also kind of need a lot of these guys. And, of course, like, whatever. You, you really, you know, uh, put them to the their feet to the fire and say, look, it's just going to cost you some young guys for Pascal Siakam and probably, I don't know, Chris Paul's expiring contract or Wiggins or whatever uh, just to, to make the salaries match. But at the same time, like, every time I turn on a Warrior game, like, they need these guys. They need Moody. They need Kaminga. They need Pods. I'm telling you, Warrior fans, yeah. they're, they're probably devastated to lose Pods, <laughs> even if it is for an established all-star. I know. Can you imagine, like, if I had told you you're going to trade Pods at draft night? Let's just say, like, yeah, after exactly. draft night. Like, it's going to take Pods to get Toronto. Pascal Siakam, right? It's like, of course, yeah, we do that deal in a heartbeat. Uh-huh. Um, but he's, he's good. I really like him as a player. And I'm wondering, Wiggs, uh, you guys in Toronto, what is the what is the feeling around Andrew Wiggins? Is he is he oh, brother. Uh, someone you guys want on the Raptors as like a feel good homecoming story, or is it a matter of like I don't know? He it seems like a buy low opportunity. He doesn't seem like he's he's the guy that you want to build around. Like I want to Eurostep this and, and yeah. hand this to you. Look, I think at this point, given what what has happened this year and given what's left on the contract there, I think he's probably viewed as a slight negative asset, like not even a neutral asset. You would use him to make salary math work, but. He's not changing your like asset evaluation. Like if they say, "Hey, Wiggins is coming back in a Siakam deal," that's to me, it's like, okay, we're still at zero assets, but the cap math works. If that's fair, like I, I think he can, he right. will turn back into a useful player. But given the contract, I don't see how you could be like, yeah, that's a key chip uh, in the positive column. Yeah. Listen, if the Raptors get Andrew Wiggins, uh, we, we will try to sell it as like a. This would be the Andrew Wiggins show. It's homecoming. You know, Raptors back in the day, they wanted to tank for Wiggins. It's like over a decade ago now, and they never did it. And now he's back. And, you know, but I, I think realistically, it'll be difficult just because he is having this down year. And I'm, I'm really very confused about what's happened with Wiggins the last two years. Like last year, he like just was away from the team for a long time and before the playoffs. And now he's come back. And 
Um, I'm not sure if these are connected or not, but he's really underperforming. So it, it's hard to sell in a basketball perspective. So it'll be a feel-good story for like maybe two days, but it, it'll fade. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right, Tom, uh, we only have you for about 90 seconds more. So a uh, short one, but you're a, a numbers guy who I trust. What should we do with the stats for the in-season tournament final and to a lesser extent, the playing games? Should <laughs> those guys just have an 83-game season and we can uh, avoid the Oscar Sheboy stuff? Yeah, I think nine, the ninety the the in season tournament eighty third game thing absolutely should count to your regular season totals. It was so absurd the fact that Oscar Shibwe did not have his first points in that game <laughs> in the most important game of his season of the of the Indiana Pacers season of the Lakers season. It just doesn't count. Like Anthony Davis has a forty twenty in the championship doesn't count. Uh, play a tournament, you're rewarding. Um, teams for being like mediocre by adding stats to their resume in the regular season. I don't think those stats should count to your regular season, but absolutely for the in-season tournament, getting to the championship, your stats should count there. And the sad thing is we would not have had that ridiculous Giannis whole controversy without it. So now I'm kind of conflicted. Like I'm <laughs> like, wait a minute. I, I feel like we should have had that moment because it was one of the great moments of the season. Um, but yeah, in next year, you got to count the stats. Like the Warriors, silly but good content. Uh, Tom, thanks so much for taking the time, my man. Keep up the great work on the Blazers and at Tom the Finder. Appreciate you, man. Thanks, fellas. Yeah, we got a... Oscar Chibwe is going to be an incredible trivia question. I'm not joking forward. that I would get a Indiana Mad Ants Oscar Chibwe jersey at this point. <laughs> nah, you're a sicko. All right, we're going to take a break. Giving your host, Walu. You've been listening to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, let's talk about Canada basketball and more of the Raptors. Top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy, and we are joined by one of my favorite people just to see in the Raptors media space. So positive every time you're around. Just bring a smile on my face. Haven't been in the Raptors game in a while, but uh, Oren Weisfeld, man, writer at large. What's going on, buddy? Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, I, I think it's ironic because I'm very optimistic about the Raptors. I think I have been the last few years compared to most people, but mm. like you said, not not the most upbeat guy maybe yeah. at points. Can, can I ask you, are you still optimistic about this season? No. Oh, okay. It, was there a breaking yeah, like, point for you? Yeah, actually, the Nets game was probably the oh, breaking point. Oh, good one. Because nice. I've been very down on Brooklyn for a while yeah. and, like, kind of surprised with the kind of media reaction that they've gotten since the KD and Kyrie trades because I just think the team doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And for mm -hmm. them to be, like, this far ahead of the Raptors this season kind of just caught me very off guard and, and made me really rethink a lot of my preconceived Raptors kind of notions. And um, yeah, like even the Pirtle trade, I was like, Blake and me talked about this. I was definitely like, we have to wait and see on it before mm. we can judge it right away. Okay. I've waited and I've seen and, and the Raptors <laughs> are about to give away like a maybe a top 10 pick as of right now. Yeah, and they, they waited and seed and then paid to see the flop as well. Like they, yeah. 
they, no, they really went did chase a, a, a little good shot. too far. And, yeah. Yeah. and on top of that, Pirtle's not playing well. And yeah. they played 15 minutes last night. So it yeah. was just, it was a lose-lose. And to me, yeah, like, it's it's definitely turned my opinion. So last night's game, there's obviously some, you know, anything positive you're going to say runs to the edge of maybe damning with faint praise, right? They come back after digging another hole against the Hornets team, missing five or six rotation players. But they do it. They pull it off. They, they kind of do the rotation things and the point of attack things that we had been asking to see. Come fourth quarter, it works really well. And you tweeted out after the game, Scotty can officially will his team to wins against terrible opponents. Now that too is kind of, you know, it's more damning the team. Uh, has Raptors Twitter praise. found you about that yet? Because, you know, they're on alert right now, man. They already got Eric and Aaron this morning, so. Who's Do you think too, they could turn oh, yeah, that yeah. on me and make it seem like I'm being mean to Scotty? So I took it as mean to the yeah. team more than yeah. anything. Like, like the tone of it to me suggested, well, Scotty shouldn't have to do this against the Hornets and their B squad. Yeah, contextualized but, for us. But in general, though, when a player is taking a jump, how important is it to you that, like, yeah, on a night your team maybe isn't playing the best basketball, you can at least get them to a win they, they maybe don't deserve outside of you? Yeah, like... Maybe this was the next question, but I do think that is the step most young stars take. Most young stars get to bad teams, right? And they have to learn how to win. And the first step in that is winning against other bad teams. And so to me, this is an important step. Like obviously the Hornets were really banged up last night, but for Scotty to go out there and it was also a bit of an unfair tweet because Pascal played pretty well. But for me, Scotty was the best guy from opening tip off. Mm-hmm. There's been more and more games this season where that's been the case. Scotty's been the best guy from the opening tip, and it hasn't always resulted in wins, but that to me is just a major building block for him personally because what have we criticized him for a long time is he doesn't really start going until the fourth quarters. That that was a criticism for a long time. This season, it's been much, much better. I think just his his energy off the bounce has been really good, and it might not always show up in the box score. I know if you look at his scoring numbers, his fourth quarter scoring is really high and the other quarters aren't aren't quite there. But to me, it's the way he sets the tone for the team as a playmaker. And even those aren't always assists because some of these guys aren't great finishers from all sorts of ranges. But he's just been so good to start games. And um, yeah, it's nice to see it kind of result in a win against, even if it's against the Hornets, if they lost that game, that would have been a really, really bad loss. Yeah, right. It's a skill set you don't want a guy to ever have to use, yeah. but it's nice when he has it. Yeah, I mean, this is also, like, part of life is, like, number one, number two guys. Like, your team's going to kind of suck in December and have low energy against the Hornets, and it's up to you to decide, am I going to flip the switch and, and will them to this victory? And it's not as simple as that, but, you know, I, I'm sometimes I like to watch for the small moments in the games, and... There were moments last night where you could tell he was, like, demanding the ball. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to get in this post. I'm going to lock my defender behind me. I'm going to put my hand up, and I'm going to gesture at you until you give me this damn ball. And if you don't, I'm going to fight everyone for the offensive rebound when you miss. And I'm going to block the shot. Like, any opportunity yeah. I can get near this ball, I'm going to do it. And I just feel like, to me, what that says is, like, there's an ownership of the situation. You know, whether or not the Raptors win or lose, I'm going to own that. That's what you need from in, in any context of any sport. Um, from your top guys, and I think that you're seeing that from him. I mean, overall, too, it's interesting because, you know, we we talked about Pirtle to start this thing. It does seem like a lot of his success this season has come with not just Jakob off the floor. Let's maybe take Jakob out of it, but it's like more and more spacing when he can um, either get downhill against, you know, no help defenders 
or when he draws those help defenders, he's able to pick out extra passes. So, Orrin, I'd love to hear your thoughts about Scotty's progression in that regard because it seems like the bench, every time they bring Scotty with the bench, they're featuring him, but almost as a small ball five kind of thing to get him going, and I think it's really working. Yeah, so real quick to bounce off your point about, like, demanding the ball. One thing the coaching staff has been dating back to Nick Nurse, kind of complain, not complaining about, but said about Scotty is that he needs to use his voice more, right? And just a quick example, like, because a lot of people have brought this up on Twitter, is the possession where Precious Achua gets an offensive rebound. Mm. Scotty's wide open waiting for the three. He doesn't pass it to him. He goes up and he doesn't score. Is it the one on three? Yeah. Scotty okay. reamed him out for Good. the whole possession back on defense, right? And And, yeah, you can get, you can take it two ways. One is, you know... I don't know, be nicer to your teammates maybe. But overall, it's that's like, Darko's no, that's dropped. good. Don't like that's Darko's got that covered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's good to see Scotty taking ownership in that way. Like, yeah. like telling, especially in those bench units, like being the vocal guy and telling them what the right play is, right? So just, just to your point, that's an example that came to my head. Um, in terms of the bench stuff, you know, it's interesting. I think um, the next step almost for Scotty is to be more aggressive. This is something mm. David Thorpe has always said on your show since the draft is like Scotty is at heart a point guard mm-hmm. and he his first option is always pass. Mm-hmm. And the superstar leap often comes, you look at Tyrese Halliburton, it yeah. often comes when guys are ready to be really aggressive scores and take four, five, six shots in a row. Scotty doesn't do that a whole lot, unless maybe in the fourth quarters, right? So I think that's the next step. And I see I think in those bench units, regardless of the spacing, like I'm sure that does play a factor in it. Mm-hmm. Him playing center, getting different looks. But I think with those bench units, he just has more freedom and he takes it a bit more upon himself to be aggressive as a scorer too. When he's on the floor with uh, three or four bench players, usage goes up to almost 25%. That's a number we were tracking yeah. earlier okay. in the year. Nice. And, the, and the true shooting percentage, his scoring efficiency had really suffered, especially in those four-man bench units. It has come up of late. He has, you know, I, I, I warned earlier that, you know, having success twice against the Hornets bench, especially banged up, you know, me, we maybe don't want to run with Scotty in the bench is working now. But Scotty's effectiveness in those units has at least individually uh, gone up because we're now seeing, you know, the true shooting percentage of those situations up to 56%. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the season, it was down sub 50, which is like a really rough spot to be in if you're the, the key piece of an offense. And I, again, at the time, I thought that spoke more to the, the guys around him and what he was being asked to do. We're seeing him find more ways to, to score efficiently while also kind of quarterbacking those groups. Yeah, I think it's a little bit funny to think about just like, okay, the season's a little bit, like, upsetting. You know, they they break your heart in some of these games. It's usually those kind of games, as you mentioned, the Brooklyn, where it's like you don't rate the opponent at all, but then the Raptors lose. Like, for me, that was when they lost to Portland early in the season. It was like, When they lost doing? to Charlotte the other week, when too. Like, Charlotte, you get, you get yeah. down 16, and, like, you just run out of time to sure. erase that, even though you play better than them significantly the rest of the way. Yeah, for when they lost to Hawks. You know, like, it, it, things like that where it's like you think that – the other team sucks, but, you know, the Raptors still lose to them. What does that mean about the Raptors? But at the same time, despite that overall, like, bitter taste when you when you watch the Raptors, the most important thing coming into the season was how is Scotty going to grow? And Scotty really has grown. And you've seen him take those leaps, both in terms of his approach, as we're mentioning here, obviously with the three-point shooting, that's something that's been really great. But it's just the overall, you know, impact that he's had, obviously, as a help defender. We saw a lot of that yesterday as well. Those those help side blocks, are, they're really great. Um, the other thing that I always thought about coming into this year was, okay, if the Raptors are going to be successful, you would need 
Scotty to make this jump to become an all-star level player and whether he's going to make the all-star team or not. First of all, we'll have many months to discuss this. Also, I think Although voting t- is now open. If you're a yes. Raptor fan and you feel passionately about that, voting yes. is now open, NBA.com slash vote. For my money, he has been one of the 12 best players in the Eastern Conference on the season. I know the Raptors haven't been successful, but he's an all-star in my book already. But, you know, the other question is, if he makes his all-star jump, can Pascal also be an all-star? Because now we all sign up two all-stars and you can be competitive. And I think start of the season, the answer was kind of no. It hasn't happened yet, but lately it's really coming on strong where both of these guys are having 20-plus points in the same game, having the same impact. Oren, I wanted to ask you, how are you seeing Pascal fit into all of this? Because we do have to acknowledge that the team dynamics have really changed, Mm -hmm. but he continues to find his way and and remain productive. He does, but to me it's clunky. Like we were watching the game last night together, and, and what happens to really get Pascal involved is, you know, Pascal's best play type is probably the post-up. And that's where he gets double teams from, and, and that's where you can play out of. But that's not exactly how it seems like Darko wants to play. He's, he's been asked about this, too, and he mm-hmm. says, yeah, sometimes, but it's not my primary you know, option. So in terms of their fit together, it, it's clunky because Pascal is not you know, a great off-ball player because of the shooting. So the best way to utilize him is to put him in the post. And so what is Scotty doing when Pascal is in the post? He's not being optimized. So I think in terms of optimizing both at the same time, it's it's really, really hard. To Pascal's credit, he has fit into the system and played, you know, quote-unquote unselfishly better than a lot of players on this team. And he's found his spots on the court, and, and the post-up's a big one, but but that's not it. Um, but when I when I look at the way that the team wants to play and the way that kind of things, I would say the best way to describe it is like slow down when they play through Pascal. It just doesn't fit an identity of what Darko and Scotty are trying to do. And again, that's not any slight on Pascal. Um, it's just kind of the the players that that they're trying to work with here. And, and if you guys disagree with me, feel free, but that's, that's how it looks to me as things slow down a little bit when they run through Pascal. Yeah, I mean, I disagree to the to an extent because if what if the primary goal is run this new system, then yes, I, I agree with you. If the primary goal is like build that system as a foundational principle, but then also win some basketball games, then I think they can fit together because I mean, once you know, first of all, they're, you're going to stagger them, so not all their minutes are together. Um, you could obviously do a better job than we have seen spacing around them, which will open things up. But I also think there's a real value, and if you have two guys who are similar size and not the exact same skill set, but some similar skills, you know, how many teams in the NBA have a guy who can go, who have two guys to guard those two, let alone mm-hmm. uh, the teams that don't even have one? Like we just saw a Hawks team that was. I know the Hawks split that series and won on aggregate, but like they are small, mm-hmm. very small. Even their big starting lineup with two centers was small relative to the Raptors. If you have Barnes and Siakam and, you know, you, you let's say, e- even within the system, you want to, hey, start things over here. And then if nothing materializes, you quickly swing it to a second side action. Having one of those guys on both sides of the floor is important. Scotty's also a really good cutter. Um, so, you know, yes, sometimes you're going to need a connecting piece for Pascal's in the post and it doesn't make sense for Scotty to be spacing around that on the strong side. So what is he doing? Maybe you, maybe Scotty's two passes away instead of one pass away. You do have to get a little bit creative with that, but I think there can be a real kind of additive value in having, first of all, when you come down the floor, okay, which one of Scotty or Pascal have the mismatch? Because most teams don't have a guy for both of those. You can kind of run at that side. And then, you know, once, once that does start to develop, 
yes, it's not an obvious fit post two shooter, but there's still a lot of value in having another guy who can really attack on the other side of the floor. So, you know what? My role in this three-person conversation is just always take a bigger picture. Bigger picture-wise, why does it matter if they play in the system or not? I, I, does it not matter in terms of what is working? And, like, I feel like, to me, my preference would be for the Raptors to win games. That's really basic. I know it's like a, you know, I, I would love to have long-term vision, but I'd, I live the Raptors show day-to-day, so I would personally like to see the Raptors win games. Having said that, though, you know, if that is the goal, and I think that that is still the stated goal for the team, is to, to win as many games as possible, don't you have to sort of find this marriage between the two? If they only did, you know, Darko system things, then I don't think the Raptors would be anywhere near the playoffs. No offense. And that's partially because, it's a large part because they need to find the personnel to play that. Pascal included, honestly. Um, but, yeah, if they want to be any remotely level of competitive, then they do need to feature him in some way. And I thought, you know, obviously it's the Hornets, but they did a good job of featuring him in the fourth quarter. Whether that's exclusive to Scotty or not, I guess that's the question I want for you, Orrin. Like, how important is it for the Raptors to optimize Scotty at every single turn and every single minute? Because yeah. at well, sorry, can point, I ask you to clarify yeah. the question? Is the are you saying optimize Scotty in terms of what works best with Scotty right now, or optimize Scotty in terms of what most fosters his development? Because I think those are two different things. Like why, one why is one is things? you want Scotty to get his numbers right now and be the best Scotty possible. Yeah. The other is you're going to have some patience to let Scotty run four man bench units or run some pick and roll, etc. Yeah. In ways that might not work yet, but work long term. So if you could just clarify that that part, I think honestly. What fans would like to see is one, but process-wise, what a coach might want to see is two. Um, but let's just say, for the sake of this conversation, one. Well, how can we get Scotty the biggest stat line possible every game? Is that, you know what I mean? Like, that does feel like a stated goal for a lot of people watching this team. He can do the rebounds and blocks himself, but yeah, the scoring uh, needs some system-orienting. Yeah, no, but I guess it's the question, what's the best way to get him to do that? Or, like, does that matter? No, what's the best way to get him to do that right now? And then does that matter as much as whether or not this team wins in the immediacy? Yeah. Um, probably to play him at point guard. And this goes back to what okay. Blake was saying in terms of, you know, if they are going to work together, Pascal and Scotty. And when I say it's clunky, like, this is exactly what I mean. Like, you have this win now factor of this works really well when we give the ball to Pascal in the post and play out of it. Mm-hmm. But we tend to only go to it when we really desperately need to. Yeah. And that is just an inherently, like, uncomfortable thing. And then you have Scotty um, kind of running the show for, you know, most of the game. So I guess it just depends on on that. But, um, yeah, like, that's why I think it would be interesting to see a no-point guard lineup and and to change up the starters and to see Scotty really run stuff and – just to see if the fit is a little more clear then. Like, in terms of numbers, obviously Scotty's numbers are going to go up if he's running the show rather than Schroeder is in, in the starting mm-hmm. lineup, just like he kind of is in the bench. Obviously, he can't do both, um, which which maybe you could make the argument that, that it wouldn't change his numbers that much there. But, yeah, like, personally, I think in terms of development, the, the flip side of this question, like, I'm not worried about what the Raptors are doing with Scotty's development. He's developing. To me, you don't need to give a guy, like, 40% usage to, like, develop him. Like, guys learn by playing, by getting minutes. And and that's kind of, to me, the point of the system, too. And, and I know you guys are, are critical of it. But 
last year we were complaining how none of the young players played and how everyone's growth was stagnated. To me, the point of the system is everyone in the system has to be able to make decisions and has to be able to make plays. Does it look good? No, it looks terrible. Um, and there are still not really many young guys playing. But are we seeing what guys are actually yes. capable of better than we did last year? I think so, yeah. I think we are. So that, to me, is kind of the advantage of the system. Mm. But like you said, the team is out here saying, we want to win, we want to win. And on to the be court, fair, they can't say the op- opposite. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But on the court, it doesn't always look like winning is being prioritized. So, again, that's a bit of a conflict. So I have a pivot if we're no, all right to move off of this particular thing. So, Oren, a lot of what we're talking about here is, you know, from the front office downward, how do all the pieces fit together? Are you trying to win more? And how does winning sometimes have some friction up against development? But there are some things the Raptors haven't done very well that have nothing to do with that. And Oren, I know from your tweets and from your quote retweets and stuff that rebounding appears to be your biggest frustration with this team. We've talked at times on this show, you know, for me personally, I think it's the transition defense because that's that's an effort and attention to detail thing. Um, what has frustrated you about the rebounding? And is that probably the thing that you think they're most capable of doing better at without changing any of these bigger picture things? Yeah, without changing any of the bigger picture things, sure, they, sh- they should be a re- better rebounding team. They might have to make some tweaks in terms of the rotations. I think we've seen we have a pretty big sample size of Precious Achua at the five not being a great rebounder. Precious and, and Chris Boucher at, at the five and the four not being a, a great, I would say, just fit overall. And so there might be some little tweaks you have to make here and there, but this goes back to the point about the Pirtle trade too. Why do you make the Pirtle trade? Because you're a terrible rebounding team when, when Barnes is at the five and rim-protecting team. You know, Pirtle has shored up some of that in spurts, but this season... It hasn't been good enough to the point where he's playing 15 minutes last night. And Precious, you know, he is coming along a bit this season, but for all the good stuff Precious does, he doesn't rebound at a good level for a center. It hurts that Coloco is out and injured all season, um, and they have no other backup bigs. But this is, again, where you have to get creative maybe. And, and like, I, I, to me, like, okay, they won last night. Sure, I'm sure you guys are in agreement. There is There shouldn't be anything that's, like, off the table for this team. I think it, it could be interesting to start to to play Precious and Pirtle off the bench together. Those lineups have looked good together when um, when Precious had been the four with, with Pirtle. Obviously, then you're starting a smaller group, and, and against some bigs, it's just not going to look good. But, like, something has to change because why are they such a bad defensive team? I think the Hawks game was a great example of this, the one they lost. Their first effort on defense wasn't bad to me. Like, mm-hmm. their first shot effort was fine. But every time the Hawks got an offensive rebound, they scored after it, it, it felt like. So, to me, a huge part of their defensive issues is the rebounding issues. And something, yeah, like effort, obviously effort can always improve. But to an extent, I do think some tweaks have to be made here to find groups that fit a little better on that front. I don't think the rebounding is going to get any better the next couple games because they they are obviously going to have to start big against Denver and Mm -hmm. Philly, who are their next two meetings. And then Utah is the number two offensive rebounding team in the league. So so that's your kind of stretch run. Um, Well, what about for you, man? I I mentioned the transition defense. Oren has kind of selected the rebounding issues. Is there one thing with this team that you'd be like, you know what, that should be fixed, magic wand, that's easy enough without changing any big picture stuff? 
That's a great question. Um, we took the two good hard, ones. It's hard to pick just one, you know? I mean, I think there are certain things that are frustrating, but they can't really do much about right now with right. the current roster is three-point shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, there are just a lot of moments where it's like, this is so much harder than it needs to be given this roster personnel. Like, for example, there was like a stretch last night where Dennis Schroeder played a lot against Ish Smith. And I haven't seen this in at least 10 years of NBA basketball where both point guards were going aggressively under the screen on both on, 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 on each other. low stuff, too. Yeah, yeah, like it wasn't even, okay, we're setting the screen at 35 feet like they do for Trey Young. Like, no, we're setting the screen at 20 feet like it's the high school three-point line, and they're going under, you know? And so I think, to me, when I watch it, I'm just like, ah, eh, this would work a lot better if you had any sort of ability to convert. Um so that's why I always mention three-point shooting. But I think there's also, like, little things in general. Like, uh, usually what when I look at my notes, you know, and I go back and watch the next day, like, the things that stand out to me that really bother me are, like, guys not making the right read. Because so much as you mentioned, you got to make decisions in this offense. In Darko's offense, everyone's empowered to make a decision. So it's small things like um, when they lost that Hornets or the, the, the Hawks game, you know, Scotty has a mismatch on him against Bogdanovich. But Precious will come over with a Kongu guarding him and screen the ball. So if you invite the Hawks to switch a better defender onto the ball. That just has to be – it's like if you trust people to make decisions, then they need to reward that trust by making good decisions. That is one of my biggest pet peeves NBA-wide in crunch time. Yeah. When guys have a better matchup and switch off of it because, hey, they, normally yeah. we set a screen in the in this situation. And I think maybe I was spoiled because we watched so much Kyle Lowry basketball. Kyle would have never allowed that to happen. <laughs> I mentioned the, the example from the Sunday the against team. the Bulls where yeah, he's exactly. like pulling guys around a pre-switch or, or negate a pre-switch, yeah. setting up a, an extra screen to make sure, you know, Jimmy can get Kobe White no matter where they put Kobe White. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think I have multiple frustrations, but um, this, is, this, is a, this is a good discussion. I, I see on the next item on the rundown. Yeah, we've, got, we've, got a, a, we've got a few lighter things for Oren to kind of round no, out fine. the segment. He's, he's cool with the heavy. Yeah. I love yeah. heavy. I love light. Medium. Yeah. Like you, you excited for this Grady Dick podcast or what? Yeah, you crack me up. Um, <laughs> Why are you like this? I, I was listening to Bomani Jones on the Ringer, you know, NBA show. And he was talking about how, like, not to be mean to Grady, but, like, it's so easy to make, like, a podcast look good nowadays. You can have, like, the good video, the cool snippets, the cool social. Mm. But it's, like, how much of these guys' content is actually, like, consistently good? And especially with the player pods, like, there's only a couple of them that are actually consistent, first of all. And second of all, like, jobs. consistently. But that's the whole point. It's like, don't do it unless you can really do it well to me. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Like, I'm not going to grade him off one podcast. Um, but look, like, you have to not... Basketball can't be your whole life. You need, like, a healthy expression outside of it. So on, on one hand, that's good. Um, I don't have a problem with Grady doing it. But... Uh, I'm curious to see how it's good. Like, he's a good quote, but I think being a host is is a whole other thing. So this is, I think, why a lot of athletes or any sort of prominently, like, public people end up, like, just withdrawing or just ignoring kind of what what the public says about them. It's not from a place of arrogance most times. It's like the Raptors are struggling, so I'm going to be upset that Grady Dick has a podcast. The Raptors are struggling, so I'm going to be upset that Masai has a collaboration with Cam DeCoos. Pa- Patrick Patterson missed threes because he saw a movie last weekend. That one I'm upset with just because I don't like Patrick Patterson. But we're going to put that one aside. Yeah, I mean, uh, I want to just say on it because I've been... But, I've, 
Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I've been like writing about kind of this exact topic for The Guardian. It should come out this week about like Patrick Patterson. Like, yeah, that stuff used to happen once in a while if it somehow got out. But mm. now it's like every single thing these guys do is seen Everything. by some camera, some audio recorder, something. And it's almost expected that you have a thing. Like you're a fashion guy or you're a podcast guy or you're a Twitch stream guy or whatever. Like, yeah. Like it, it's pretty rare now for MBPA a guy to not guy. have a thing. Just yeah. like Eric Temple. Yeah. 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 And that stuff finds its way onto social media. And there is always going to be that that section of fans that are like criticizing them. And, and to me, that's just a wild dynamic that I don't think ever used to exist mm-hmm. and now has become so big. And not... Not only does it affect the players, I think it often bleeds into organizations. Like mm. John Morant is an obvious example. Anthony Edwards is another example of something that happened more recently. These things can affect entire organizations. Draymond Green mm-hmm. punching Jordan Poole in that video getting leaked. Like Ramona Shelburne was just saying, like the Warriors have still never recovered from that. Mm-hmm. So all of this stuff getting leaked and and just becoming public information, yeah. I think is really like hard to to keep the main thing the main thing, yeah. as players love to say. You know, I, I think for me, it just, my observation of this is just like, there's just an outrage economy. Like there, there is. And that's not to say that this is to say there aren't things to be outraged for. There's lots of things in the world that are to be outraged for, mm-hmm. right? But I think for me, especially around sports, most not, times there's not something to be outraged, but you watch sports for the emotional experience of the highs and the lows. And because there is just like so many people jumping on the high and some people jumping on the low, that it's going to feel there's almost an incentive to find more things to react to. So as you mentioned, make the main thing the main thing. I don't, I honestly, you ask any reasonable person on the street who may be wearing a Raptor cap, hey, Grady Dick has a podcast. They'll probably be like, oh, cool. You know, who do you talk to? What do you talk about? You know what I mean? If the average reaction online would be, this guy's averaging two points a game. Why has he got a podcast? Mm-hmm. And I think it incentivizes that kind of reaction mm-hmm. um, online. And, and honestly, trying to reflect on this, like I, for our show and just our coverage in general, we have to like, I got to make sure I remind myself, like don't jump in on this all the time or try to jump in on it as little as possible. Number one, because I know these people in real life, you know, like, we can be in here talking about Bobby Masai. They couldn't do better. We disagree with the Jakob trade or this acquisition is not made or not. I'm going to have to see him later on. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's not even just from the perspective I got to protect myself, but I got to keep that in perspective. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, they don't have that perspective. Yeah. So that's why a lot of the athletes or famous people just disengage with us overall because it's not reasonable. That's not what happened to you in real life. Dennis struggles in a game. The, the next day, someone doesn't just like yell at him. And and make up things like oh you know you're you're terrible at this or you you hate this guy or you hate that guy like they would just be like oh cool Sanders Schroeder let's get a picture and then they would keep him moving. Scotty's in a sandwich commercial. He shouldn't have eaten lunch. He should yeah. have been in the gym. That's what I mean. Yeah. It's unreasonable. No Everyone lunch knows it's until you're 82 and 0. But I guess when you log on, you just you're accepting that you're like a like you're a different person or it's not like 100 percent serious. Yeah. So you don't act 100 percent serious. I wish either. I could do that. Yeah, well, I I don't, I, I don't do that either. I I rarely say pl- things about players online because I'm always afraid it's going to get back to me. But but I wonder how much this stuff affects our jobs because I think okay. a lot of players, when I talk to them, like for this story, for example, relate social media and media as one thing, right? Well, they receive it on the exact same medium. And That's true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I do want to be clear on one thing. What Will is saying is not that like you can never be 
critical of someone. No, you're no, of you're separating me, the basketball from the personal. Yeah, and like that idea of like, well, Will knows these people and has to see them the next day. I mean, that's kind of always been the the rule that I have followed where, yes, I've been very fortunate to mostly cover good Raptors teams and solid Blue Jays teams. But, like, you have every right to be critical. You just, you got to be accountable for it the next day. Like, yeah, like, like boy, if you're in that, it's, yeah, exactly. Um, like, if I'm going to sit here and, you know, say the X or Y about Darko's rotations, I don't like it. And I'm not at the next game yeah. for Darko to be like, hey, I, I thought you were too hard or you misunderstood that. Mm-hmm. And have a conversation about it. That's where it gets a little dicey on our side. Like the yeah. the goal is still to be correct. It's just to be correct in a respectful way. Yeah. No. I I do think if you say it online, you should be able to say it to someone's face. Like and and like you said, we are held to some account, and a lot of just fans aren't, and that's why they feel like they can get away with saying anything. But because of this outrage economy, because so many fans are saying horrible, horrible stuff about these athletes online, I think it gets back to us. In the sense that, like, ironically, there's less access than ever before in this league. And yet there's more known about these players. And there's more viral content about these players than ever before. But it's not coming from us. You know what I mean? So I think that is the disconnect where they might look at us and see some of that negative stuff coming out on social media and say, like, well, why do I want to say my real feelings to these reporters when everything I see online about me on these same mediums, like you said, is negative. I think it really affects our jobs too. So that's something that, you know, I I guess I've been thinking about. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's all kind of just unfortunate. Stick to Ivy League basketball prospects. No, I'm kidding. They Uh, never get mad at you. No, I mean, if I was Avian Lee, I would be very happy with the piece you wrote about him the other day. Yeah, tell us. We got, we got like two minutes. By on the way, I got to shout out one of his high school assistant coaches, Griffin Bush, was a, a coach on his high school team and had been bugging me to write his Avian Lee piece for a yeah. while. Yeah. And I was like, man, I'm juggling. Shohei watched. I got a 2-12-905 and 12, 905 team on my hands and the Raptors. Mm. Someone else will do it. And then like two days later, you wrote his Avian Lee piece. That's yeah, funny. So what's going on? We got a saucy Asian hooper in the city? <laughs> we do, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> he hopped in my DM and told me that he told Blake to do it, but only after I, I wrote the piece. So, I mean... Yeah, I was I was happy to do it. Whenever you do stuff about guys who don't get a lot of attention, they're super grateful for it. So he was certainly grateful, and and he's just a great kid. I think it's an interesting story. It's up on Sportsnet.ca right now, and just about kind of how he played hoops always growing up, but he was always really short. He was my height, so he never took it seriously. What height is that, buddy? <laughs> and then. Um, during COVID, he kind of had a decision to make, like either really get in the gym every day and spend this free time he had to, to hoop or, you know, do what every high school kid was doing, which is like play video games. And he decided to just like go to all these like kind of like underground gyms that weren't technically open mm. and, and just train. And and quietly, like he got a Princeton connect and, and they started scouting him as soon as, as COVID ended. But really no NCAA was, he wasn't on anyone's radar mm. for the most part coming coming out of, COVID and then but he always wanted to go to Princeton he ended up going there and and this year it's his sophomore season and he's really been like one of the best scorers in college we have to wait to the tournament to see how that translates against better competition because you know it 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 hasn't it's been non-conference play so far but not exactly blue bloods um so we'll see how he translates it but he's averaging like 18 19 points a game just a great three-point shooter, really crafty. He can get anywhere on the court. And um, 
yeah, I think another example of a Canadian kid who kind of flew under the radar for a, a number of reasons, COVID was one of them. And now he's kind of just shown up on the on the big college stage and really behind Zach Eady, he's probably the second guy I would say who has the best NBA prospects who's in college right now. So he's definitely a name to watch out for, whether it's in 2024, 2025, and, and yeah, Xavier Lee. You're uh, talking about the top two Canadian hoopers in the NCAA right now are, are Asian? This is sick. <laughs> That's this what I'm so telling good. you. Yeah. I'm so happy. I also just love that any prospect of this age, like in addition to what college they went yeah. to, were like coming out of Princeton, coming out of COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From COVID, starting at yeah. <laughs> small forward. It's... No, but actually, I, I do really, really wonder, like, how much that affected the development for this whole, like, generation of, like, just people in general. Yep. Like, honestly, just people in general. Um, but especially for these athletes who... I, I think the biggest ones are guys there. who were in college then. Because, like, if you're pre-college, you yeah. can channel that work differently. Um, if you are in the NBA already, obviously, you had a lot of resources as mm -hmm. much as was possible. But, the, but a lot of the college-age players just, mm -hmm. like lost the season and yeah they get a year of eligibility back but if you're an nba you're on the nba radar playing a sick a fifth season in your sixth year like you're toast as a prospect yeah real quick on that it affected canadians much worse than americans because they lost a whole year of high school whereas americans got like some it was only shut down in a lot of states for one month or two mm, months right. canadians are really lagging behind the freshman class and, and the classes to come because they had a whole year of AAU and high school cut out. Yeah. And all those scouts can't travel yeah, in the same way. Exactly. You can't cross the border so easily. Yeah. So, of course, there's like a whole economy that goes into this. But uh, you know what, Orm? We just got to get you back to have more insightful conversations. Man. Also, I want to talk about uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm be heading into its final season, which I know is devastating for you. I want to do some NBA Curb adjacencies, but we're out of time for today. All right. Well, you can find Orm Weisfeld at large. <laughs> or you can find them later on the Eaton Center. Not Sportsnet, the, the Guardian, Twitter, whatever. Lots yeah. of places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the Raptor Show. That's the best place I'd like to get, Oren. All right, we're going to take this break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. It is time for my favorite segment on the entire Raptor Show around the NBA, uh, which means that I can just relax and, and, and not uh, dictate the conversation. So I, I'm, I'm joined by my co-host, Blake Murphy and Alex Wong, who's going to take us around the NBA. Surprise. What's going on, man? What's going you on? You guys good? Great convo with Oren Weisfeld. Yeah. What was your favorite part? Um, him talking about media access. Mm. Yeah, it's changed a lot, man. I've been in this game, you know. Yeah, what, what, what five, kind of changes? Five, ten years. Seen? No, I think. No, just... I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't do this. <laughs> Don't do this. Raps PR, we love you. Don't worry. All of you. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. What do you guys want to talk about? I got Mac McClung on this list. I got Emily Radikowski on this list. I got more Dennis Schroeder stuff for you guys. Let's uh, let's start with Mac McClung. Mac McClung. That was not where I would have started. Former. Buddy, he gives me a G League option during the G League showcase. Yeah, really I'm going to take the G League option. Right. So Mac McClung, the reigning slam dunk contest winner per front of the program, Shams Sharania. Uh, the NBA has invited Mac McClung back to the slam dunk contest this season. Uh, is the slam dunk contest the most outdated all-star competition in sports, guys? Are you excited about this? 
Um, I think the initial reaction was like, why are we doing this again? But he won. So does he have a chance to defend his title? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I mean, he's he's a potential NBA player. Like, it's not like yeah. it's that crazy. Saw, uh, we looked it up the other day. He had like a 44 piece or something. Yeah, he's, whatever, he's, he's putting up like 25 games. Like, yeah, uh, I don't know how well it's going to translate to the NBA given the size stuff, but the size stuff makes the dunk school. So, yeah. um, are you guys still excited in general so about the dunk contest? I've always been a dunk contest like I love the dunk contest and the three point contest. Like yeah. even if they mm-hmm. fall off or like they get too gimmicky at some points or whatever, like the uh, the core idea I'm gonna want to sit down and watch. There's okay. nothing you could do. I, I do care. think though that the in season tournament highlights something very very clearly, okay. which is that part of the fall off in the dunk contest has been that until recently the prize was only fifty thousand. Even now it's only quote unquote a hundred thousand. Mm. Guys fought like crazy and talked about how much the 500K in the in-season tournament meant to them. And that was a situation where you had to, like, that was over the course of seven games. Mm. You could potentially make $500,000 if Mm. you win. Yeah. And this is like, you're talking about an hour of work and some prep time. If you up that dollar amount, you're not going to get LeBron in the dunk contest. I don't know. LeBron LeBron likes his 500K. I I really do think you could just up the, the price tag and at least more guys... Would be in it. I think you do have a really good point. I think someone like a Zach Levine could be enticed into winning an extra vacation, like a 500K. Like, I do feel like... How much are these guys spending on vacation, man? (laughs) 500K for one vacation. What you know about Turks and Caicos? Yeah, D'Angelo Russell said it was two vacations. Is he buying Turks or Caicos? (laughs) 500K for a vacation. No, I I do like that. I just think in general, like, it's been a long time, and I know it's been talked about, but, like, it's been a long time since anybody's been that excited about the slam dunk on. Yeah, I mean the Levine Gordon one that was here, right? That that and that one, I don't even know how much of that was anticipation going in. We just ended up getting one of the greatest dunk contests ever. Yeah. But like if you want to build like that wasn't that long ago, six and a half years ago. Like you could you could have built off that momentum a little bit better. And yeah, that one so to some people got a little gimmicky with the the hoverboard and stuff like that, but it was a really cool dunk contest. Mm-hmm. I, I do think like up in the price point so that you don't have to reach into you know, G League guys or, you know, like we've seen guys that like, like Jeremy Evans was in the dunk contest one year, really good dunker, but like Amen. nobody, it's not moving the needle for a guy. I think you yeah. have to at least be like, like have some in-game dunking highlights for people to get excited. And look, there are guys around the league who can dunk like crazy and don't get the opportunity to in game. So you don't want to rule that out entirely, but like, yeah, I don't think Hamadou Diallo and Jeremy Evans and those type of guys are moving the needle for the average fan uh, as much. And I really do think that two guys doing the exact same dunk the exact same way, people are going to react more if it's a guy that they already have an association with mm-hmm. and they already, you know, enjoy or were excited yeah. to see. Even if, you know, that does, you know, hurt you a little bit in terms of, well, you're not building new stars as much that way. So my only thing with this is um, the reason the dunk contest fell off is because the best players that everyone want to see in the dunk contest aren't doing it. Mm-hmm. We don't see Zion in the dunk contest. We don't see John Morant in the dunk contest. We don't see LeBron in the dunk contest. That's why it fell off. That's the, that's the only reason. If those guys went in it, people will be watching the dunk contest uh, like I do. Now, I actually like the dunk contest every year, mostly because it's mm-hmm. a spectacle. Because mm-hmm. I like to see their creativity. And sometimes when it fails, it's hilarious. Like, some of my favorite dunk contest moments aren't the 50s. Aren't the, like the No, it's like, I like seeing, like, um, John Collins, you know, a couple years ago, he's like... airplane. He, like, just, like, kicked the crap out of a paper mache plane (laughs) while wearing, like, goggles. And I was like, this is awesome. 
it's so stupid. It's awesome. So, no, I mean, look, it's, it's definitely fun to hate on it. But honestly, I think the biggest issue is just they got to get the biggest stars back in the thing. Yeah, and, and I don't I, know how they do it, really. I, but... I think money. Like, you're not going to get the uh, absolute all-stars there because they're already doing stuff that weekend. But, like, yeah, you want, I don't know, that next tier of guy that didn't make the all-star game and they're like, I'm out. I'm going on vacation. I'm not coming to all-star weekend. Then suddenly it's 500K instead of, you know, 50K. Yeah. I think it's 100K now for first, 50K for second. But, yeah, you up that All price right. and, and more guys will at least think about it. I the think. vacation thing is, is an interesting point. Um, let's just do All-Star Weekend in Cancun. Let's do no. one in Cancun. If you know no. your NBA All-Star All right. history, they tried that in Vegas one year and uh, Holy. set Vegas' expansion hopes nope. back like All a right. decade. Holy going to be shut down for two weeks after for COVID, man. Uh, um, well. Anyways, yeah, money solves everything, man. So I agree. I agree with Blake. Um, Emily Ratajkowski, okay. supermodel, was denied her usual free tickets at Madison Square Garden this week because she left during the Knicks' 21-point comeback against Miami, which I believe took place, I don't know, last week, a few weeks ago. So Emily and her fellow model friend, Irina Shaq, uh, left the Knicks. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> her other friend, Irina Kobe. Uh, oh, wow. Left the game early, and uh, an, uh, an MSG spokesperson, when asked about this, said, quote, Emily was not offered comp tickets for the New York Rangers this week, but she was offered and is welcome to buy great seats at any time. So she's being punished for leaving courtside early in, in a blowout loss. Um, Bing bong! How do we feel about this? Who's oh, been more so wrong? Lame. Emily Ratajkowski or Azotam? Yeah. This is so lame. Just, yeah. just you, you either want the celebrities to be courtside. Mm. Like, if you invite someone to your party and they, they leave, like, well, you know, yeah. that's that's their prerogative. Like, People if, got things to do, man. Yeah, the risk of having celebrities courtside is that if you get down by 20 points in a game, they have other things to do. Yeah. Now, the the bigger question for me is, like, what, have, like what is what are your personal leave-a-game policy? Like, would you leave a game down? Will, oh, I know, I know you game, wouldn't. Buddy. Will, if Will was there as a fan, he would be doing the devil in the, Raptors cut it to 18. <laughs> he, he does that. Yeah, uh, he's in the sprite zone. I'm 600-level uh, Matt Devlin. Man. Yeah. 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 Leave a game? Yeah, I don't know. And the NBA is kind of tough now because a lot of comebacks happen. Now. Yeah. Back in my day, you know, if it's a 21-point, you know, deficit for the Knicks. Like, it's over. <laughs> okay. yeah. yeah, back in your day, basketball's played ones and twos. Yeah. So, 21 is, uh, is 10 possessions. Uh, what else? Did you guys talk this about... This is so lame, though. Did you guys talk about Dwayne Casey? No. We Cameo? Scotia uh, Bank no, Arena? We, we talked about it off air. Okay. No, we mentioned it in the first Did segment we? a little okay. bit. Yeah, Dwayne Casey was at Shout the game. Shout out to Casey. Yeah. Uh, Pistons front office exec uh, being at the game. Yeah. Last I've, night, I've already blocked up the game no, and the first good. segment. Apparently, <laughs> he was good. he was also on Raptors tonight. After mm. did a whole tour. Nice to see Dwayne back. Hey, whether the Raptors win or lose, Raptors tonight will have dinner for you. But uh, yeah, what did you think of uh, Dwayne Casey being back in town? Yeah, I think it's nice. It's it's it, like optically, it feels very soon. It was only six years ago that mm. that Dwayne was here. Um, so you know that part of it is is. Usually you see this like after a longer period, but I do think that, you know, there's been turnover in the coaching staff since the Raptors are obviously in a different direction. Uh, Dwayne has maintained his roots in the city through, through family and relationships and things like that. So I think he's actually back here every so often. Um, and Detroit's not that far away. I think this is great. Dwayne meant a lot to the organization, you know, culturally and foundation building wise, mm -hmm. and, you know, really helped take the team to a, a level that they hadn't been before and be a level where they were in close proximity to, make that next move. And I think he should have a, a pretty positive legacy with this franchise. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love Dwayne. Um, is The Rock still in the building? 
I don't think so. Unless <laughs> you're talking, unless you're talking Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> no, but seriously, you also know, not in the building. <laughs> you know who was the gentleman though, but mm. he does know how to play both sides of that because yeah. you remember the, there were quotes where he when he first got introduced to the Pistons, he was like, "Man, it's different in this building because I walk in here and there's three championship, you know, oh, yeah. banners, and I'm like, yeah. all right, you know, I still love Dwayne. No, nah, Dwayne is a nice dude. You know who really else? Is. You know who else was in the building? Last the night. Rock. Intern Jake. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. Who, who put this note in here about I, I put Jake? it in here, man. You think Blake put this in here? This so, so we have a we have an intern who who works here at at Sportsnet. What's his and, last name? Uh, Jake uh, Fisher. And in the evening, <laughs> nah, that's Yahoo Sports Insider. And, and in the evening, he uh, during Raptors game nights is part of the game, like game ops team. Yeah, like he's part of the in arena entertainment. So he's courtside, getting fans going and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, it's great. It's always great seeing Jake. There was a, we noticed him in the fourth quarter when mm. uh, I believe Scotty and Nick Richards had a play where referees couldn't agree on who it was out of bounds on, so they just did a jump ball. Yeah. And so they did a d- jump ball routine, and Jake, along with someone else in the hype crew, was like oh, mimicking, yeah, mimicking, mimicking the, the jump, jump ball. ball. No, Jake, I believe Jake mimicked the winning jump ball. I, dap, I dapped up Jake after. Yeah, good for yeah. Jake, man. So I know he's just, a big fan of the show. He's going to be thrilled once again. Yeah. Speaking of um, Dwayne Casey mm. and the stinky Pistons, uh, <laughs> the stinky <laughs> Joe. I'm not going to lie to you. The Raptors uh, Hornets game was close, but I had the second screen. Yes. Up. I had League Pass fired up. No, but. For Hawks versus Pistons, because yes. it was like a six-point game at certain points in the fourth quarter. Yes, and I, I, I feel like I'm so invested in this Pistons losing streak mm-hmm. in the same way that it was when the Warriors started the season 24 and 0. Yep. it was like you had to watch every game. No, because it's, you got to watch every game. It's become historical, and yeah. you, you actually got me thinking, uh, William, because like the Pistons are kind of must-watch territory now, like reverse must-watch, yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Let's go through the Christmas Day game schedule in They're the not NBA. On Christmas? <laughs> Is there one game? Which game would you take out and replace with Pistons Raptors? Oh my! God. To lose for the losing streak. So, I'm thinking Bucks Knicks. Bucks Bucks Knicks. Warriors Nuggets. Celtics versus Lakers. Seventy uh, Sixers versus Miami and Mavericks Suns. Which game are we swapping out to put the Pistons Raptors in? This feels like blasphemy at this point uh get warriors nuggets out of there Ooh. the warriors have not been an enjoyable team to watch this yeah. year unless it's a night where steph and pods are doing their thing um steph but- and pods is good. that <laughs> used to be but that, that used to be draymond's nickname yeah <laughs> steph um, and pod bucks knicks it will be a good game i think like the knicks are really good this year they're a really good regular season team i yeah. think that'll be a yeah, fun one that will be a good one no emily radikowski though yeah. not for that one yeah. i think she might be busy on christmas too but um mm. yeah warriors nuggets is gonna be a terrible game no draymond for that one either yeah, no yeah. pod, but no, we no, we, pod, no pod, but we have pods. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just saying they should throw the Pistons on national TV at so, this point. Here's the thing with the Pistons: I'm really afraid because they're playing the Nets back to back. They play the Nets um, on Saturday, December 23rd, mm-hmm. which is also my birthday. Um, Happy birthday, man! Just just reminding people casually uh, mm-hmm. that is my birthday on the 23rd. Of Message December. me, email me info stephenlebron.com if you want to send them gifts. They play the Nets once again on December 26th. It's hard to beat a team back-to-back. Okay. They've also got the Jazz on Thursday who are not that, like, they're fine, but they're not that bad. Like, the, the Jazz are beatable. Mm-hmm. And the Pistons are at home. Man. I need the streak to go on, man. Why do you want the Raptors to be the team that no, breaks the streak I, so I don't badly? want the Raptors to beat the team. I just want to see history, like, in the making. that's the one that should get flexed the national TV, that December 30th game where they could break the record, and it's against the Raptors. Yeah, I, w- I will not be there, there no matter what. I think what. that's the night they break the record, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. By the way, uh, yeah, I'm gonna skip that game. Producer J.R. Manitad said he would get Emily Ratajkowski free tickets 
if she needed. So, man, Jr., you know how many years of salary you need to do that? <laughs> Jr., you went to the casino with twenty five bucks a couple weeks ago. Emily Rizakowski, that's that's what he's trying to. <laughs> Goodness, man, this guy talking about courtside Knicks tickets, man. Talk about Mark Stein, um, Sharif Abdurrahim. I got to trade Adam every vest Maris? he has to make this happen. All right, that does Tomorrow. it for us today. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptors Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe. Please rate and review the show. Thanks once again to Tom Haberstro, Oren Weisfeld, Dennis Schroeder, producing co-host Alex Vaughn, Blake Murphy, Derek Brendale, Jennifer Rolnick, David Sis, Jeremiah Tad, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow.